0: This episode contains references to accounts of domestic and sexual violence, violence against women in particular, and language that is not suitable for listeners under 18 years of age. We also discuss coercive control. Please use caution when listening.
1: Yes, he retaliated and takes my weed mugshot, which is like hysterical because I got I got pulled over with a little bit of weed one time and they smiled. I smiled in the mugshot because I was like, I'm gonna take advantage of this mugshot. And I'm like, I'm gonna smile. And like, I didn't even, I I didn't have to like put the clothes on or anything. I didn't have to go like go behind bars or anything. He takes that mugshot and makes, he tries to get it put on a billboard, but um, nobody would do it for him, I guess. Um, And he bought a website, knowyourneighbors.biz or something like that and um, puts my mugshot on there, but you can't tell it's a mugshot because I was smiling really big. And he put this, my face all over town and was warning neighbors about me. I, um, I got a call at work, I start getting calls, and they're like, uh, Kara, your face is on signs around town. He put one by my daughter's school, which was also a violation of my protective order. I um but they didn't when I reported it as a violation, they didn't count it as one. They didn't count any of his violations as any as a violation. He did. Um and I found this out um this was like right before this was in 2021, right after he beat his wife number 5. Um his house was on Zillow and somebody sent me a link to his house. And I could see my face on the sign in his yard next to his house in Iowa.
2: Everything in life has a tipping point. No matter what, at some point, the way you've been living becomes too much and something has to give. For Jim Luman, the tipping point came when he met Kara. He didn't know that was the moment, and neither did she. But... The end of their relationship sparked a series of events that's almost too crazy to believe.
0: In episode six, you heard the survivors' accounts of abuse in harrowing detail. Kara was the survivor who Jim took to Branson on their first date. They only dated for three weeks in October of 2014. Three weeks that would change both of their lives in immeasurable ways. The thing about Kara is that she has a very fundamental and pronounced sense of what's right and wrong. There's no compromising, and there's no excuses. So when she found out about all the other women that Jim had abused, including the women who she was told to hate when she was dating him, her basic humanity transcended all of the mental manipulation, and she began to reach out to them. She and Kristen really became close, and they bonded over what they went through. What happens when these women begin to organize is remarkable. This is
2: Panic Button operation wildfire and you're listening to episode nine wildfire i'm colleen mccarty and i'm leslie briggs if you're just getting started with us we recommend you go back and start listening from episode one leslie one of the most remarkable parts about this story is the companionship that emerges between so many of jim's victims
0: Right. I mean, they were told during their relationships with him that they were each crazy bitches, obsessed with him. They're scorned lovers. They just want to get him back. And often that's happening while they're dating him simultaneously. Like he's talking about someone he's actively dating and saying, she's just obsessed with me. I broke up with her already. And I guess something we should talk about, Colleen, is like that culturally in the United States, women are bombarded with subconscious messaging, and I mean, overt messaging as well, that push us to compete with one another for resources, men, jobs, romantic attention. I mean, do you agree?
2: Yes, I think it's often called internalized misogyny. But it's the idea that, you know, women hold up the patriarchy, almost as much, if not more, than men do. It's the idea that what you're wearing to work is going to be scrutinized not by the men but by the other women. What your um, you know, social circles think of you is more important than – or what your church thinks of you is maybe sometimes more important than what your husband thinks of you. Or what, we're, what are the other women going to say or think or what's the gossip going to be? I mean, I think there's a lot of fear of women's judgment. I mean, when I hear these stories about these genuine friendships that develop between these women that were competing for the same exact man who all slept with the same man, who all had the same exact experience with the same man, it's pretty like it really bends my brain. The fact that they could just like lift up out of their pain and see past the manipulation is one thing, but then to reach out and become friends with each other is something you just don't see very often. So we talked about this recently together, and we're bringing it onto the podcast, but in a function of of healing their trauma and growing, becoming friends was actually a great thing for them. They could reflect with each other, share stories, and bond through what were some of the hardest moments of their lives. They needed each other to get through this, but often they didn't have anyone else, and they didn't feel safe going to family or current people in their life with what had happened to them. But this is something that it frustrates me still to this day, even after we've heard this story so many times. Legally, their relationships with each other are extremely problematic. And if they associate with each other about these cases, the system looks at that with suspicion. Every attorney, when the time comes to go in front of a judge or a jury, will hit them hard with accusations that these women are simply getting together and getting their stories straight organizing their testimony to be consistent, making sure that they all say similar things so they sound more credible. Right.
0: I think for me, so it's like hard for me to take off the lawyer here because if you want to get him in a civil or criminal case, you can't, can't, cannot hang with your fellow survivors. You simply can't. Because that would be, we don't believe women. We just don't. Juries don't believe women. And so when you when you give the other side an opportunity to to attack your credibility, it's pretty hard to come back from.
2: Yeah, but that just plays into this perfect victim narrative that like you have a therapist and a mom and a grandma and that's their purpose in your life is to go to with your problems and you don't need anybody else and you can find you a good man. And you don't need to worry make about- Make better like, choices. Make better choices. Like that police told, like that police officer told Ember from episode one, it's just, it's not realistic, especially in the face of the systemic indifference that these people were facing at the time.
0: Right. You have a system that has not done very much. There have been some things, but not much. I mean, we're talking about like 30 day jail sentences.
2: Where he gets out in a week.
0: <laughs> for like the abuse that he perpetrated upon Kristen. And it's like, okay, well, I tried that. I tried that that criminal process and I got jack shit. I'm gonna try a civil process.
2: The counterpoint to all of that is like, what is gonna when is it ever gonna be enough for you? When is it ever you you got the prosecution, you got the deferred sentence, you got the conviction, you got the things you wanted, it wasn't enough for you. Why wasn't it enough for you? Why didn't it feel
0: like justice to you? because it didn't stop him. It didn't fix the problem. And like that's what I would that's how I think if I could channel any of those women, it didn't fix it. There were several more victims after Kristen got the 30-day jail sentence. And frankly it, like it, this is like the big, it's the big overarching criminal justice problem like problem is that incarceration, doesn't solve the root cause of violence or or like the root problems with community safety. And so, and we heard from the experts last week, and, and we'll we'll gonna move on from this topic here in just a minute. But like, I get frustrated because I don't know I don't know what the answer is to this.
2: I mean, I think a lot of people don't know, but the problem is we haven't been allowed to study it. We haven't been allowed to try other things. We right. haven't been allowed to like try restorative justice with these kind of cases right
0: to or like, even know like the investment in alternative resolutions it isn't hasn't happened in Oklahoma and I'm just not convinced that incarceration has done anything to solve Jim's behaviors
2: no and like what are we saying though like he needs to go to prison for life then I just like no, I just dis- I disagree with that as well. I mean, I think that's what that's how Jim's family feels is that these women won't be happy until he's in a grave or in behind bars for the rest of his life like the green mile.
0: Right. Right. And I think the problem is that the trauma for them is still so visceral. The system re-traumatized them and there wasn't any healing. I'm just like going to say, you know, like Xavier and Aurelius and their take on how to heal those traumas. I agree with. Mm -hmm. I think that's the only real viable solution.
2: I mean, human psychology says the only way to heal things like this is not further separation, further obfuscation, further hiding and pleading the fifth. And the things that the legal system is built to do, it is built to... Bring only the relevant evidence and relevant based on a judge's opinion. It is, you know, only built to do those things and very. It only really works in very limited circumstances. Personal, interpersonal relationships, interpersonal violence. The solution is probably never. You're never going to feel fully healed because you're just never going to feel fully healed after a criminal prosecution no matter what happens. Right, yeah. Because you never get to hear from that person how it impacted them. You never get to hear from them that they had that it had an impact on them what they did, that they recognized the impact that it had on you, that they're sorry. They no one ever gets to hear what really happened because the point is to obfuscate what really happened. Right.
0: Well, and I think that the point is also to protect the individual liberty of the defendant, which is like you and I both agree.
2: Feel very strongly that that is, needs to happen is
0: one of the most critical facets of our entire legal system. So this has been a huge sidebar. Yeah, but I do think use it somewhere else. I do think that we should hear from Kara about what she thought about banding together, helped or hurt.
2: Do you feel like your friendship with the other girls? in any way undermined your credibility in the courts?
1: Absolutely, I do. I feel like, I feel like, like me going in to, I went with, I had Kristen with me a lot of times when I would be filling out violations of things or when I would be filing all my court filings or anything, Kristen would come with me. Sometimes Amber would in the beginning. And they basically would just look at you like you two crazy girls that are teaming up against this poor guy. Like it was pretty much like leave the poor guy alone mentality. And it, and they would ask like, well, why are you even friends? You, you and it, it was really weird. Even the therapist seemed to not encourage me and Kristen being friends. It was really strange, like the, the way that our friendship was looked down upon and um, has been for a long time. So even despite
2: the suspicions raised and Kara knowing that this raises the hackles of, of all the legal participants in this situation, it doesn't stop her from forming a plan after she realizes that her case is going to get dismissed against Jim, or basically is not even going to get investigated at all, she decides to take matters
1: into her own hands. Um, the, my, I found out my case was dropped a day before my mom died. And when my mom died... I did not get sad like most people do when their mom dies. I felt like a big badass warrior all of a sudden. I felt like my mom would die if she knew I was freaking rolling over to this guy, if I was just not doing anything to stand up to him. And so I I didn't know that I was going to hang the flyer at the time. I made the, I was going to make a flyer. I just wanted to make a graphic that had at least a warning. I, I was thinking about making a website, honestly. And I was, and I knew that if I just put it, and, and I was having a hard time searching for him. I couldn't prove that he was any kind of criminal when I was with him. I couldn't look into his background to see that he had any kind of violent history. And so I learned that if you actually put in Lumen 2, like when you're searching for him, it pulls up a lot more stuff. But so, but people don't know that. So I wanted a way to condense um, some information, some public information about him also with people. And I wanted to use women that personally told me things that he had done with them. So, I made a flyer. I put his one of his mugshots on it. I made a list of some of his crimes that you could find online, including like the casket stuff, just cause it's creepy. Um, I put that one in there just because I wanted someone to pull it up and see that he has a casket lawsuit. Um, yeah, I know so, I mean, i I just threw that in there because everybody needs to know about the caskets. Um, no, and so I. I I just put a list of the allegations from the women that I had personally heard from. Um, I, I just, and Kristen and I talked, it was, it was the, right after my mom's funeral, it was the weekend of my mom's funeral, and we were going to do something that, we were going to do something to, uh, because the police weren't doing anything, we were at least going to hang one flyer Like we were at least going to put one flyer up. And so I ended up going, we talked on the phone the night before, Kristen and I, and we said, okay, we're doing this tomorrow. And I didn't think we were actually going to do it. And she didn't think we were actually going to do it. And last thing I knew, I was at the place that she was house sitting at. We were on our way to make 200 copies, color copies of the flyer. After I made the flight, after we made the copies, I realized that my email address was at the, on the bottom of each fucking one of them, and I had to tear off my email address off of all 200 of them before we hung them. But anyway, sorry, that was a long story. So, we um we didn't want our car her car to be seen on camera, so we went to the airport and we rented a Mustang and we named it Wildfire because we were about to be spreading the truth like wildfire. And we took the Mustang to Cleveland, Jim's hometown, and we hung flyers pretty much everywhere that we could think of, including his sister's grave. Um, We hung one at the Hickory House restaurant, his favorite place to eat. We hung one um, at the police station, at the library, At the place that they get the shakes, I can't remember what, it was a really good, like, ice cream place, but the the dairy barn, we put one at the dairy barn. Um, We put one at his um, sister's house, I think we threw a few out there. Um, At the school, at the park where Kristen was found, Um, and then toward the end, we... We went up, we put them, I think Kristen put it at Judge's house because she used to clean for him. Um, At the end, we had a few left over and we went up to the top of this hill and we just threw them out and watched them fly across this golf course and over this hill. (laughs) It felt fucking amazing. It felt like we had finally... We laughed so hard that day. I was wearing sunglasses, a black hoodie, um, black everything because I didn't want to be on people's cameras because I knew Jen would be coming after me. And... Um, so, I mean, it was truly like vigilante justice and, you know, neither one of us are like, you know, it it, it was like, we both have jobs and stuff. So it was like, we were really felt like we were getting by with something and, and we were probably well, a few days later, I started to get a lot of, um, angry messages from the women, um, on the flyer. I started to get angry messages from a lot of people in general saying, how dare you put this up? Um, Basically, he had a lot of women blaming each other for he didn't know who did it. And everyone was blaming each other for it. Everyone was freaking out thinking he was going to come after them because he was kind of livid. And he was blaming every woman on the flyer and they kept coming to me and they're like, he's coming after me because of this flyer. And I'm like, well, I got to take full, I got to take full responsibility for it because I can't handle all these poor women going through more trauma because of this flyer. I did not even like think that through at all. Um, I did, I did black their eyes, like put a bar across their eyes and like, covered their names like I mean it was completely anonymous like they weren't like I did think that through at least but they were he he just has a way to make you the bad guy and him the victim and so I really felt like I had no choice but to take full responsibility for the flyer I believe I think I just like posted the flyer on Facebook and said hey I posted this around town um in in Cleveland, oklahoma, and um because this is what my abuser did to me, and um, I no, I said a women's group did I think I blamed some women's group, and then I later on said I was the women's group <laughs> that's what happened. I blamed a women's group at first, and then I said i'm the women's group. I also did not take everyone's advice and lock my stuff down either i wanted him to be able to, honestly i wanted jim to be able to see what i was doing and i know that sounds really crazy but i honestly this whole time everyone's like well why are why don't we, my my page is public <laughs> and i i want him to be able to see what i have to say to him he's tried so hard to silence me. So it's like, I have no choice, but I don't, I won't let him.
2: So Kara realizes pretty quickly that Jim is going to sue her for her publication of the flyer. And by the way, you can see the flyer in the notes of our show. And also for the dissemination of the flyer around Cleveland, and also for the publication of the flyer on social media, all of those are different essentially publications under defamation law. And here's how Kara learned that Jim had filed a suit against her.
1: I get a um, process server on my porch, and I get slapped with a $300,000 civil defamation lawsuit from Jim Lumen. So Kara
0: goes on to make a mistake that I think a lot of listeners of this podcast will identify with, but
1: the lawyers who listen are probably going to cringe a little. My mentality was, well, it's a civil suit. I don't have to buy a lawyer. Um, And like I tried, I looked around at some lawyers, but it was all like five, six, $7,000 retainer immediately. Um, And I just could not, I was, I, I, I could have got into my retirement But I was really trying not to let Jim Lumen eat my retirement. It was kind of my thing. And I'm like, well, I'm well-spoken. I'm not afraid of men. I can probably do this, which was totally, looking back, was totally naive. And, I mean, I did not think that it would be allowed to go on, honestly. I, I naively thought that... I could just defend this with the truth because that's what the First Amendment says. It says that if you say the truth, or I don't, I can't like quote it verbatim, but like if you you can't be sued for defamation if you're telling the truth. And so I knew I was telling the truth, and so I didn't feel the need to hire anyone to say I was telling the truth because I knew I was. I
0: want to be super clear that I think the law should be accessible to everybody, but some cases just can't be handled pro se. They are complex. The body of law that they are based on is complex and defamation is exactly that. I mean, I don't know what you think about accessibility to the courts, but I do think that like there's a time and place and there are particular dockets that should be pro se, but this is not one of them.
2: This is the thing that I really struggle with. I mean, I believe very strongly in access to justice. And the reason that Kara couldn't hire a lawyer is because a defamation lawyer, a first or a first amendment lawyer, as she calls them, would run you probably 15 grand to defend this kind of case.
0: Minimum. Minimum. Yeah.
2: That's for a capable, qualified attorney. You know, to to even just respond to all these crazy pleadings. like right. The amount of time that it would take to just respond to all of this is crazy, but also to do a good job, like to, you know, lay out the facts, make sure the court understands what's actually happened here, like introduce all of the POs, introduce all of the arrests. Like we've spent hours and hours going through all of these documents. I can't imagine, you know, what it would take an attorney to defend this case from the beginning of it.
0: It honestly would maybe be a little cheaper. Honestly, I mean, I don't know for that for a fact. I don't know what the final cost was for Cara. But I do think, like, by the time her attorney enters the case, so much had happened that it was like he had to read the same amount of hours that we spent reading all the pleadings to figure out what went down before he could even get a plan together. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I want you just really quickly, Leslie, to, like, do a basic overview of what is defamation even.
0: Defamation is this. It's actually... There are two categories of defamation. There's slander and libel. Libel is the written word. Slander is the spoken word. And these are torts. These are, these are intentional torts, yeah. Intentional torts. Intentional torts. Intentional wrongs. And, you know, beneath those two cat, I won't talk about slander and libel individually. I'm just going to talk about defamation. But there's two types of defamation. There's defamation per se and per quad. So per se is like on its face. On its face, this is a defamatory statement. Usually, the best example of that is like, "Joe killed his mother," but it's not true, right? That's mm-hmm. that's a false. If it were a false statement, that'd be defamatory because you're accusing him of a crime. Per is a little more complicated. It's you got to use extrinsic evidence. You have to the the statement itself is not necessarily it's not on its face defamatory. The standard per example of like an insurance company accusing you of having been in an accident, but you weren't the party that was involved, right? Like it's like a mistaken identity. That's a, that's a per se, that's a, sorry, not per se. That's per quad defamation. You have to have more information other than just the statement and on its face, it's not enough. And Mm. so in some cases you have to plead and prove special damages. So in per quad cases, you're going to have to show special damage. The same is not true for, Per se defamation, so special damages are like the economic harm that you have suffered with relative certainty. That's what you've got to prove. In a per se case, you could do things like mental anguish and recover. Right? Again, you have to prove your damages up, but you don't have to plead and prove special damages for per se defamation.
2: What about malice? Do you have to have like? Do you have to prove that the person did it meanly?
0: Yeah. So the elements of a of a defamation claim. In the state of Oklahoma, really, that it's like an unprivileged communication. It's false. It's the standard normally is negligence. So it's a negligence standard for private parts like for private individuals, it's a negligence standard. If you're talking about a public figure or a public entity, it's a actual malice standard. So Mm -hmm. negligence being like you were just not careful about checking that it was true. Public for that's for private parties. But if you're talking about a public person, like a I mean, and I don't know if anybody knows this, but school teachers are considered public figures. Really? Yeah. It's the, what is the case? I forget the case. It was the high school like basketball coach that was misidentified by a news story as like having committed a sexual assault or something. Oh, wow. It was bananas. Uh, it's a bananas case. I'll have to find it. But
2: there's a whole body of law on whether or not you're a public figure. Yeah. Like there you is. and I are probably.
0: <laughs> we, we might be at this public point. Figures. I mean, we might be at this point. That's I don't what know. Tom
2: always says to me. He's like, you're probably a public figure by now.
0: <laughs> it's probably. Yeah. Right. And so there's I, there's probably a test out there that I don't know off the top of my head to figure out if who's a public figure. But so if you are a public figure, if somebody's going to defame you, they have to do it with actual malice, with an intent to hurt you. And then again you have to prove plead and prove damages so it's either special damages or just you know your emotional distress damages so there are several defenses to defamation right you have absolute privilege which is the truth you can get like qualified privilege in pla- things like fair comment so if you're commenting and reporting on what's gone on in an official proceeding fair report is another privilege That is a defense to defamation. That's something like the news making a fair report on something that's gone on. Of course, there are you know there's things you have to prove relating to that. But fair comment. That's your opinion. Your opinion is not defamation. But you have to be careful about couching a fact as opinion, right? And then legislative or court or other official proceedings. Generally, you you are protected from defamation for the things you say during those proceedings. So that's defamation in a nutshell
2: I have a question about that yeah so like when you say the truth is not defamation because that's in a complete defense what do you have to do to show that it's the truth
0: yeah I mean if you're being sued for defamation like Carol was to prove the truth you would need it would depend on what the exact claims were that were on the flyer right and on the flyer, she lists the cases and the police reports that she was aware of at the time that were out against Jim. And she's it's a it's a statement of beware. There's a serial abuser in your community. And she, then she lists the cases, right? So to <laughs> prove the truth, I mean, it's like, here's all the cases and here's all the, the filed paperwork on those cases and here's the police reports and also, if you can get any of those women to testify, it's and then you prove it that's I mean you prove it substantially true.
2: So, okay, let's look at this a little more closely with Jim and Kara's case. What what it is he's trying to say happened.
0: Yeah, what I find interesting about this, and this is something we touched on in the legal abuse episode. So what's interesting about Jim's petition is the way he's trying to counteract that these statements are not true, despite there being court cases about it. So For example, he says in his petition that... And who was his lawyer? His lawyer at this time was Josh Kidd.
2: We We, heard from Josh in episode two.
0: We did hear from Josh in episode two. But (laughs) his current attorney is actually a guy named John Nation, who is also heavily affiliated with PI Associates currently. That's who has the last entered appearance in the case. So Jim alleges that he doesn't know or recognize the woman listed as, as victim eight on the flyer. And if you go look at the flyer, you'll know what I mean. He alleges that... Another one of the victims, her name's Brandy. He spoke to her and she's like, No, that never happened. At least that's what he's alleging in the petition. <laughs> Why are you laughing?
2: That's just so fucking funny to me. I talked to her and she said that didn't happen. She said I'm I didn't She legal said did not a- hit her. Listen, in case you want to know the truth, she told me
0: I didn't do that. So, <laughs> except also, by the way, you. Forrest Smith corroborates that that she came to him. Listen to the bonus
2: episode to hear Forrest Smith corroborate (laughs) Brandy's assault. Yeah,
0: sorry. I'm sorry, Sorry. but like... Anyway, so (laughs) that's Brandy. He speaks with Misty, his ex-wife. And it doesn't actually say that Misty says that it's untrue, but she says that the flyer's ridiculous and she's not happy about it. And then there's another victim, Lindsay... And Lindsay's someone we tried to find, but we we sim- we just could not track her down. That it again has nothing to do with truce or falsehood, but that Lindsay was disturbed and distraught and humiliated that that her information was out there on that flyer because apparently she had one of the cases against him.
2: So none of them are actually saying he didn't do it. They're mad about the flyer.
0: Yeah, they're like they're like not happy. That the flyer is out there, which I don't blame them if they didn't, if they weren't consulted and they weren't, yeah. you know, I don't blame them for having their stuff blasted, but that none of them are saying, other than he's saying that Brandy is recanting, but that's the only one he's saying is recanting. He also says he's not aware of an Arkansas victim. Well. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Y'all I can't are. Do y'all, are it. y'all are gonna meet the Arkansas victim next week so so he just is like it, that's what he's alleging in his petition when he files this suit none of it none of that is evidence of untruth except for brandy who maybe recanted if she did i don't know but she recanted to the abuser but <laughs> well, he's, like, he's, he's he's like saying that she recanted to him he calls her up
2: like as if that wouldn't be threatening in itself right
0: so that's the petition for defamation it's just you know I think it's flimsy. I think it's very flimsy at best to begin with. But. Well, let's talk about what happens
2: next. (laughs) Because this is the most shocking part, maybe, is that it moves forward.
0: It moves forward. Yeah. She, she files a motion to dismiss at some point that is not granted. She files counterclaims as well. And they get her counterclaims dismissed. You know. But She's given a chance to refile. She does. So there's just like a lot of procedural things that are going on in this case. And again, she's representing herself. And so and that's that's tough because you have not only do you have like local court rules with your local county courts, you have the district court rules that are statutory. And then you have the rules of civil procedure, which are also statutory, you have to be able to navigate all three sets of rules effectively to do this.
2: Plus, you have to be making determinations about what's relevant. What do you want to share? What actually proves the truth here without showing yourself in a bad light? There are a lot of information sharing decisions that need to be strategically made. And plus, when you're also trying to learn the rules and trying to learn how to respond to something, what does legal pleading look like? It's just kind of Be a mess.
0: It's it and it is. It is a mess. And like it's interesting. Like my theory on this is is that Kara probably could have done this if she'd had like some like ad hoc legal help, like some limited scope legal help. If there was somebody that she was paying some amount of money to do strategic decision making and give her guidance on the rules, versus like paying for their hourly appearances Mm -hmm. right in court or you know thing. Yeah. But I do think with like a little bit of support, like she could have navigated this better. It's still the gold standard is to have representation. I just want to say that this is a very complex body of law. Like you you should be represented. It sucks that it costs a bunch of money. I'll leave it at that. But actually what's what's probably there's two extremely fucked up things we have to talk about this case before we move on to the okay. next thing. It's the default judgment that gets entered. Yep. But before we get to the default judgment, I want to talk about the restraining order that gets entered because Josh Kidd files for a temporary restraining order preventing her from speaking out about any of this stuff relating to Jim.
2: And a TRO is an equitable remedy. Right. That would essentially.
0: It gags her from speaking. Stop
2: her from talking about this. It
0: stops her from being able to talk about it. And there's actually.
2: And it gets granted.
0: And it gets granted. And this is the big kind of, this is the conundrum I have because like that decision was a bad decision. It was made on on an erroneous conclusion of law because there's lots of good case law that says that like what's at stake here is somebody's First Amendment right and somebody else hasn't an, has an adequate remedy at law, which is money damage. You sue somebody for defamation to get money because it's hurt you. And on the opposite side of that you have somebody's first amendment rights and those are competing interests in every defamation case and so to to allow equi- what's called equitable relief you have money damage and then you have equ- you like have courts of law and courts of equity that's courts of law are money courts of equity are things like injunction and restraining orders and so here things have gotten crisscrossed and the judge has entered an equitable relief when he had the ability to enter a money damage relief and that Gags Kara. I mean, Kara can't talk about what she's experienced now as a result of that rule
2: that she couldn't talk about it. She could not talk about it on social media. She could not speak to anyone about it. And this was in place for four hundred forty-one days, so over a year. Over
0: a year, yeah, of her being silenced, and I think that's had a really lasting impact for her because it compounds her trauma. Of, like the experiences that she had and then like her effort to assert some kind of independence or control over the circumstance is met with a full-on court order silencing her which is based on bad law it's just it's just a bad i mean and to, to the judge's credit and it's actually judge pickerel he undoes his own ruling but not till after a lot of other things go down including the default judgment mm-hmm. do we want to talk about that
2: Yeah, so quickly, though, I think before that, we have to just let Kara discuss, like, we asked her when we talked with her what her favorite part of doing the lawsuit was, of defending the lawsuit herself was. And she said that it was actually being able to cross-examine Jim herself because she was the lawyer. So when you're the lawyer, you do the cross-examining.
1: So this is what she said. I got to cross-examine him for one thing. I cross-examined him for a long time. In fact, um, to, to the point, um, I asked him if he had ever beat a woman, and he said no. I asked him if he had ever laid his hands on a woman. He said no. I asked him if he um, had ever flown an airplane. Um, I asked him if he had a baby with Sarah Evans, I asked him all of the things that would get under his skin, but he couldn't hurt me because he was in a court.
0: We actually pulled the transcript of that. And so here are some of the highlights, I guess.
2: I wanted to also say, like, it seems like Jim is trying to limit the claims of defamation to only certain things on the flyer. Like he's conceding. Sure. He has to concede like the Kristen's
0: Kristen assault because he pled guilty.
2: Yeah, and he's like saying the parts that defamed me are these specific parts of the flyer. Like, okay, I'll give you these things. Because I'll give
0: you the domestic A and B. I'm gonna not tell the truth, or I don't, or I'm gonna have selective memory about the Arkansas victim and say that I've never. I don't know what that's about.
2: I don't know what that is. When I'm there, not aware of there's any a, Arkansas victims. A full police
0: report you know yeah and i and like he also it's also just like so silly to read how he's saying that like some of the some of the women who are on the flyer are like mad that they're on the flyer as if that <laughs> disproves the what happened
2: they don't like that their pictures on this flyer i don't
0: and i don't begrudge anybody that if that's like if that has how they felt like i don't i don't begrudge them that but i'm sorry to say to to jim and josh that that is not how you defeat a claim of defamation that somebody's mad that the truth was told is not the same as (laughs) saying that like it's defamatory. (laughs) That's just, but that is like a, that's like a refrain that he kind of goes to.
2: Well, they're in in a really weak legal position when you're reading, like they're already in a very weak legal position because we're coming into the situation saying, I'm not a serial abuser because two of the things on the serial abuser flyer are false. (laughs) Right. Right. The other eight things, I'll talk to you about those later. One of them is just a bloody nose. Blah, blah, blah. Right.
0: He really dismisses what he did to Kristen, which you guys heard in episode six, like the, the bulk of like what she experienced. And he dismisses it as a bloody nose.
2: Yeah. And so it's a very weak position to come in here and be like, I'm going to go ahead and concede many of these points. I clearly do have a violent history. However... These other two things are defamatory, and I deserve $300,000. Oh, he's saying he never raped anyone. No rapes. That was one of them. He says he never fishhooked anyone, he never choked anyone, he never held anyone hostage at gunpoint, he never threatened the lives of anyone's children, and he never stalked anyone.
0: I mean, there's a lot of evidence that those things happened. Yes. The problem is that, the, like, what's happening in this hearing in 2016 is you have pro, you have pro se cara, who doesn't have a lawyer, who doesn't practice, who's not, like, in that courtroom and doesn't know how that operates, like, the niceties of having a hearing like this. But you also have, like, this hearing goes off the fucking rails almost immediately. They, they go to this... So the, let me just situate this really quickly because this is a hearing in the defamation proceeding on whether or not Jim is entitled to an injunction against Kara and an injunction is equitable relief. It's an order from the court to prevent you from doing something. So that's what they're there to get because the court had previously entered a restraining order against Kara to not speak about the things that were on the flyer, to not publicly discuss them while this litigation was pending but like the hearing itself should have been limited to whether or not an injunction was warranted and somehow they end up litigating the whole case and it's just off the rails and it should, it just shouldn't have played out that way.
2: I'm trying to remember how it even came to be that they were introducing evidence or that they were calling witnesses in the first place, because it's like, there shouldn't be any witnesses. There shouldn't be any evidence presented. It's like
0: they're doing it because like the issue of evidence the issue of taking evidence should have been about the singular question of whether an injunction was necessary to stop Kara from, from discussing the, the flyer or the things on the flyer further. And so they do that a little bit. They're like, her post is still up. And Kara's like, well, I haven't reshared it. It's way down on my Facebook. And it's like, that should have been the limitation on this. But they start introducing emails from people who are not present in the courtroom. I mean, so many layers of hearsay. It's an email from somebody who's not there. And it just is like, why are we putting this stuff into evidence? And, and
2: authentication. Can I just say authentication like 500 more times, please? Authentication.
0: And the rule of completeness. And, and the Kara's rule raising, Kara's raising these issues. She's not doing it, again, because she's pro se, she's not doing it with like all the niceties of like objection, relevance, objection, rule of completeness. And the court gives her some leeway and like kind of reads between the lines of her speaking objection to get at what the rule underlying rule would be. And on some occasions, you know, he's granting those objections. But it's just like utter chaos. Yeah, it is. And it ends, it culminates. It actually, when you read this transcript and you get to the end of it and the judge issues his ruling, I can see exactly what happened. So there is a point when Kristen gets called to testify, and Kristen wasn't prepared to testify. She had not expected to testify that day. Kristen, who gets called to testify by Kara regarding the underlying defamation. they Because they've started litigating the issue of what's true in the flyer and what's not, which they never should have been doing. The court should have really... I mean, in my opinion, the court should have put a, a stop to that and like, very clearly put parameters on what we're here to decide today. Because, it, like we said, it goes off the rails. We're talking about hearsay within hearsay in these emails, authentication, all that stuff we were just talking about. But there's this moment where Kara is questioning Kristen. And I want to read that, and then I want to talk about the court's decision. Yeah, so a question by Kara. Would you say that this is a streamlined version of everything that's public record that you've seen? Yes. And that's Kristen answering yes. Kara says, would you have, when you met him, in a dating capacity, would you have liked to have something like this to look at before he injured you? And then we get an objection from Jim's lawyer on on relevance, and Kara says, well, how is that irrelevant? The court says, overruled. You may answer if you know. And then Kristen answers.
2: Had I had this information in front of me whenever I made the decision to see Mr. Lumen, I would have not continued a relationship with him or ever found myself alone with him in his grasp.
0: Okay. And so that testimony, I think, actually becomes the thing the court makes its decision on. So the court itself begins to, to examine... Kristen, And, the, and what, that, what I mean by examine is like the court begins asking fact-finding questions, which usually the court will not be doing. Like we mentioned earlier, that's not their role. And so the court questions Kristen and says, I have one question that I want to ask, that I want you to clarify some of your testimony to me. I understand you tell me that, that you knew of Mr. Lumen as another person in the community since I think you said you were four.
2: Yes, I have known of him since I was four.
0: And the court says you attended the same school, things like that? Yes. But you didn't know him well until you became involved with him romantically. Is that what you're saying?
2: That's true.
0: Did I understand your testimony that if you had seen this document, this flyer, that would have changed, it would color your opinion about Mr. Lumen, and you would never have dated him? Absolutely. Okay, thank you. That's what I wanted to clarify. You may step down. Yeah, and so then the court the court issues its ruling from the bench the court is
2: always cognizant of the constitutional first amendment right to freedom of speech and expression however the first amendment just like the second amendment that allows you to bear arms comes with responsibilities and consequences the determination today as to the purpose i heard a lot of testimony of why whether or not this was done to damage purposefully mr lumen or whether it was done in a purely altruistic manner to warn other people so that they would not be victims, is not before me today. What I have is the determination of whether or not the plaintiff is entitled to an injunction. Based upon the criteria set forth under Oklahoma law and injunctions, I have been able to find continuing harm as a result of the actions of Kara posting this in Pawnee County and online based partially on testimony that was Someone who only vaguely familiar with Mr. Lumen would have their opinion of him changed for the worst if they had encountered that flyer. But I find the continuing harm, and it does exist, I find that the potential harm suffered by the defendant is less than the harm suffered by the plaintiff if the injunction were to issue. I find that the plaintiff has barely established that he's likely to prevail at least having established a prima facie case regarding defamation only. And I haven't heard any argument regarding public policy other than Kara's statement that she is doing this to protect the public. And I don't see that the actions taken here specifically fit that particular method. There could have been other methods to protect the public. And the court is a little concerned that if, in fact, the women on the flyer whose pictures are there, other than Kara, are in fact victims, then some of them may not have wanted to be identified as such. And the photographs, although I don't personally know any of these women, apparently are such that people can make out who that is. I had people identify them on the stand as to who these people are.
0: So I want to interrupt and just say, like, all that's predicated on hearsay that was presented by Jim during the proceedings. He just starts telling them, he starts testifying as to what these women told him about how they feel about the flyer. And it's like, that's not, that's not. And he's not the one identifying
2: evidence. them. He's the one identifying his own victims. Yeah, of course he can.
0: Well, it's just like. It's yeah, right. I just, the whole thing is based on it's a bad decision by the court. And he, to, to the judge's credit, he reverses himself again, only after like there's briefing on this issue of whether an injunction, injunction is not an appropriate remedy for defamation. You have, you have money damages. Jim would have been entitled to to money damages had he proved the defamation, but the hearing just, it's so chaotic. It just is. It's so difficult to read, Because you're just watching, frankly, you're watching, in my opinion, this may sound harsh, but, like, a bad lawyer doing a victory lap over a pro se defendant. And you're just like, this is, like, bullshit. Trash. It's trash.
2: Also, like, I think it's worth just mentioning briefly that what the court is trying to place on Kara is called a prior restraint, which means... We are not only restraining you from saying something that you've already said, we want you to eliminate those statements from the public. We're also going to restrain you from saying things that you haven't said yet, which the forefathers of our Constitution frowned greatly on prior restraint. It is one of the reasons they left England and came to this new land and created the Constitution to begin with. And so it's pretty fundamental in First Amendment law that it's it's really inappropriate to try to prevent someone from saying something.
0: Yeah, the government has to meet the strictest standards to put a prior restraint on you. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bad decision by the court. And again, it doesn't get undone until you have legal intervention by another lawyer representing Kara. You know, but something we have to do, we do have to talk about that comes out in these transcripts are some of the bad facts, right, Colleen? And after they break up or after, you know, this, this final weekend happens, there's in the hearing, it's it suggested, well, it's basically testified to that by Jim that he broke up with Kara after three dates. And I just want to say that like, we've seen, we have seen how quickly he can move in three weeks with somebody. I mean, he has moved from meeting someone for a first date to a marriage proposal within six weeks And Kara has told us that, that they were already discussing marriage and moving in together. And so the idea, like, again, I think that this is part of his gaslighting tactic of like, I'm going to up the stakes really quickly with a, with a bunch of love bombing. And then if it falls apart and any, like in this exact scenario, when you're trying to like, hold me accountable, what I'm going to say is there was three dates. So she's crazy. She's crazy. It was three dates. And instead, what he's but act- what he's actually done is really intensely upped the ante with with love bombing and discussions of marriage vulnerability. I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of t- the time we spend talking about these issues, we talk about survivors and how oftentimes their behavior to someone outside of these situations it doesn't really make sense. It's not logical. And it's not something that can be easily explained in a court testimony. And oftentimes the defense attorney will try to tear a victim apart because of things that they did, you know, during the relationship or afterwards. And these are the kinds of conversations like that happen between people who are having an emotional breakup. Like they sometimes express fondness for each other. They sometimes express that they miss each other. Right.
0: And it becomes, if you don't immediately hate him and express that every time you're talking to him, then... And go to the police immediately. If you don't go to the police immediately with the harm, then it didn't happen. Right. Then it didn't happen. Never mind that, like, that's just not how humans operate. When When you're getting out of a relationship, especially an emotionally manipulative one with also, you know, sexual violence. Like, the emotional work that has to be done to actually separate yourself isn't happening the night of the breakup when you're sending emails back and forth to each other about how you felt at particular moments in that relationship.
2: Hasn't everybody gotten drunk and texted an ex or texted somebody seriously that you broke up with that you like just want to like razz a little bit sometimes?
0: Well, and the idea that like, again, to what you're saying is that like, okay, you don't get to act like a regular person because there was sexual violence in the case in in this situation. You have to act in a very specific way. Otherwise we won't believe you. It's like, you don't stop being, you don't stop having your normal breakup emotions that are also just elevated and complicated by the abuse. So it's like, there's a very chaotic exchange of emails that gets introduced during that hearing of, you know, are we going to get back together? Are we not going to get back together? You know, let's do some business together. Him reaching out to her, For hookups, her reaching out to him for hookups, and like just it goes on for a period of six months. And there's really, I mean, there's as far as I could tell from the transcript, there's about three times that he reaches out to her and initiates contact post breakup, and three times from her back at him. So we're like, okay, numerically, we're pretty even here. (laughs) I don't know, like if the numbers matter.
2: Equal, but at the same time, like what you keep seeing during Jim's testimony in this is Josh attempting to only introduce the pieces that are favorable to him mm-hmm, and right. i mean that's something that narcissistic abusers and coercive controllers do all the time in a verbal argument is they just say the things
0: pick the thing out of the context yeah that and then, supports their proposition yes and he's
2: and he's the worst part about this and i'm sorry josh if you're listening the worst part about this is that
0: he's an attorney and he knows better yeah. And he's... It, it's hes definitely like taking advantage of a pro se. He's
2: poning somebody who has no reason to know. Right. And it's like she even she actually does do a good job of saying... Oh, yeah. That's not all of it. That's not all of it. And also, mine doesn't match that. Yeah. Why are the words different on this one? Like she's
0: just not letting it, him get away with it without a fight.
2: Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's good. I'm glad that she did that. But at the same time, it's like... When you're up against somebody that's pro se, you should be double on your game.
0: Like, you shouldn't be trying to sneak things past. Right, like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I was dying when she's cross-examining Jim on his finances and undercutting his claim of damages, just like, you can't have it both ways. You can't be online claiming to bid on an airplane and then act like you've been losing tons of money and sleep over this i don't know it just is like and she gets him to admit that he doesn't file his taxes i wish i thought that was pretty
2: bizarre he just full out says i haven't filed taxes in seven years
0: yeah (laughs) just i don't do my taxes you're running you are running a legal consulting business and not filing your taxes and
2: hi, lawyers people who pretend to be lawyers there's this thing called the fifth amendment that i really recommend you (laughs) avail yourselves of (laughs)
0: So I don't know, dude. I like I. It just is the whole the whole thing is so scattered and difficult to make sense of. And it's just it for me. The culminating thing of all of this is that like, Kara holds her own, like really fucking holds her own in that hearing. But you can't, you just in a case that's complicated like this, we're talking about injunctions and equitable relief, and we're talking about First Amendment rights, and we're talking about defamation, and all of these are like extremely complex bodies of law. It's just like they're It was going to be a tough hill to climb for her, I think.
2: Yeah, and what I hate the most, and this will be the last thing I say, but definitely what I hate the most is that she brought her friend there as a support who is also a victim of the same man, and it's used against her not by Jim, but by the court itself. Right. Like, talk about Systemic gaslighting. Right. Wow.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it just like that whole, again, it's a bad decision by the court. And Kristen hadn't been prepped to testify, she didn't know she was going to testify. And it was really an off-the-cuff decision to put her on the stand because they wound up litigating the underlying truth of the claims, which they never should have been doing in the first place. Mm -hmm. That hearing should have been limited to the issue of injunction, and the court really should have done a better job boxing in what was going to be heard and what wasn't. But Kara makes this decision to put Kristen on the stand with no prep and no legal advice and... It winds up being the thing that the court uses to make its decision.
2: Well, and also, like, she's just answering honestly. Yes, if I saw this flyer about a serial abuser in my community, it would change my opinion of him. Yes, of course it would. And then he takes that as evidence of reputational damage.
0: Yeah, and that the harm is going to continue to if the if Kara is allowed to continue to discuss what's in the public record. So... You know, I think I just, like, I have to say that I appreciate that Kara really put up a solid fight. And I wish the system was better designed so that it wasn't, like, it wasn't always necessary to have a lawyer there with you. But this kind of a case just really required it, really did. So, like, the fact that there was a restraining order entered is, like, what blows my mind because it's just, it's an equitable relief and it wasn't necessary.
2: And that was... The truth of the law is that that should have never been injured because that wasn't the right kind of relief for this type of tort. Right, exactly. And so she was was silenced for 441 days, but it was wrong.
0: Right, and it also just speaks to another problem with the legal system is that, like, lawyers get the benefit of the doubt. Like, Josh Kidd is in that courtroom very regularly – and so, when he's making his legal argument in favor of this TRO, this restraining order, and Kara's in there going, This isn't right. I can feel it in my bones. This isn't right. But maybe I don't have all the legal authority to explain that to, to this judge. The judge is going to go, Well, I've got legal authority on one side, and I've got somebody just saying, I don't like this on the other side. I guess I'm going to go with the legal authority. Except that, like, an independent evaluation could have maybe prevented that.
2: Yeah. 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 I don't know. God, what a mess. And like the whole time, the other part, like you said, it compounded her trauma because the whole time that this is happening, she's thinking the state of Oklahoma, not only have the cops walked away from my case, refused to investigate, but now I've got a judge in the state of Oklahoma taking his side.
0: Yeah. And saying, I can't talk about this.
2: That he's right and I'm wrong, and I can't even tell anyone that it happened.
0: Yeah, it compounds it for sure. It's just like, I mean, and then it, like to then it gets. I mean, it gets worse. It gets worse. Because it does
2: sh- get worse because sh- they enter. They ultimately. Through a series of very chaotic events, the, the court enters what's called a default judgment on Cara f- in on behalf of Jim. So Jim essentially, like from my perspective, reading the transcript, wins. Right. Like he beats her. He gets a judgment against her for defamation, essentially saying she has defamed him. And they enter the default judgment, and she gets notice that she's lost. She gets a like notice in the mail. You've lost. There's been a judgment entered against you. And there's going to
0: be a hearing on the damage.
2: On the, on the damages. And so the reason that that happened, and it's kind of suspicious, but I don't know.
0: It's super, like, it is, like, super in the details. But basically, there were two separate hearings, one on November 2nd, one on November 9th. And she gets notice of them separately. I think even a lawyer would, could have made this mistake. Like, because the whole thing is playing out in a very chaotic way. But so she gets notice of them separately, and one of them is has got the 9th. It's, one of them has the date scratched out and the other date written in, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's like, okay, and she calls the court to confirm the date of the hearing. And like a court clerk and said, it's the ninth. It's the ninth. Well, on November second, a hearing occurs.
2: And one of the things that happens at a default judgment hearing is if the other person doesn't show up, it's almost like an automatic default judgment on them because they're not present.
0: Yeah, I mean that's like one of the main ways you would wind up getting default is and it, it takes honestly it should take a few it should take more than one non appearance but i think that the judge was probably pretty frustrated at this point with the case because i mean and like and lawyers lawyers in general dealing with pro se parties is like notoriously <laughs> just it's like some within the profession it's something that we all kind of complain and and just you know dis, like If you're dealing with a pro se party on the other side, everybody's like, oh, God, good luck. You know, even worse when they're a sovereign citizen. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Sovereign citizens.
0: um, You know what I mean? Or when they're claiming to be a sovereign citizen. So it's like the judge probably on some level was like, enough, enough. She's not here today. It's defaulted. It's defaulted. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And there was like 100 contempt citations and 100 because she kept right, posting. She, she
0: did. She refused to abide by the TRO in, in a lot of ways. As far as I understand it, she continued to discuss. And so they were continuing to file contempt citations to try and get money from her for violating the TRO. Mm-hmm.
2: And so, yeah. So at this point, she realizes she has the default judgment against her. It's a very dark day. And she finally breaks down and decides to ask a friend for money um, to pay for a lawyer.
1: I lost temporarily because he got a default. I, I was at work one day and I'd actually called the, <laughs> they, they changed the court date from the 2nd to the 9th. I, I called and spoke with the court clerk and who told me that court was going to be on the 9th, not the 2nd. And everything I had said it was, and even OSCN said it was on the 9th and not the 2nd. So I'm at work on the second and I get a call saying, hey, you just lost. A friend of mine started a GoFundMe for me um, because I was, then I needed a lawyer because I was, I had lost my ability to speak and I was supposed to pay him $300,000. My, I had one, I have one really rich friend that, that he's awesome he's uh he's been one of my buddies throughout this whole thing and i've had like a small group of people that have been a support system and one of them happens to be my rich friend rj um and so my rich friend rj decides to give me the money for my first amendment lawyer thank you rj so when i first met him i was just like it was the best feeling you know I, by then I had stopped opening my mail from Josh Kidd. Josh Kidd was sending me, I was getting injunction after injunction. I, I kept getting these, um, I'm sorry, I kept getting these, mo, these contempt charges for, because I was trying to have a, a me for a lawyer. Like they were, they were filing contempt charges for me. Like, saying that I was abused on Facebook. And there was just, I stopped opening them. Um, and then I, when I finally got my attorney, Taylor, um, he undid everything, and then I was allowed to talk again.
2: I can feel it in the future. I can see it in the culture. I see the moon as the sun. come So this is like, let me just think about it in purely Oklahoman terms. It's the last five minutes of the football game. You are, it's, you're seven and the other side is 14. And they're on the fifth yard line about to score a touchdown. Like you are about to have your ass handed to you and there's nothing you can do about it. There's not enough time. You've lost essentially like everyone in the stands is packing up their shit and ready to go home. Right. And (laughs) she finally finds somebody who's willing to help her because she does not have the money that they are trying to get out of her. She's what we call judgment proof. And like, I don't know what they would have done probably would have just tried to bankrupt her and take everything she has. But she goes and hires a lawyer in town named Taylor Burke. Who's very good on these issues and in order it's it's also extremely difficult to undo a default judgment i mean you you do it doesn't it does actually help her that she wasn't there because it's like she didn't get notice and you can't just enter a default judgment on someone who doesn't know what's happening
0: yeah it's better i honestly think it's it's easier to get a default than it is to get to get a default vacated than it is to get had she shown up and argued and lost
2: that would have been harder it would have
0: been a bit harder to get that undone
2: yeah so I don't know. I guess I'm like so bad with football references, but I'm going to be like, look, like, like Dan Marino shows up.
0: <laughs> Is he still alive? No,
2: I don't think so. <laughs> who's the, who's the person Who's now? the main guy? I hell
0: if I who's know. Who's the person you would say like shows up at the end of the game and fixes everything? What's the guy? I can't stand him. The Patriots guy.
2: Oh. Tom uh, Brady. Yeah. Tom Brady. Tom Brady, Tom Brady shows up. And somebody kicks, like, a 105-yard f- field goal, and you win. Okay? Like, that's literally what the
0: just score? Happens. I don't think the score on that was working out. But no, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Basically, you're down to the wire, and, like, Hail a Mary. hero enters the scene. And that hero in this story is Taylor Burke. And I got a fangirl on Taylor for just a minute, because I have seen him in action in court before on one case where I was represent- it was an it was a probate matter, and I was representing a – potential creditor like I hadn't got my judgment yet but there was a lot of crazy shit but Taylor in this very chaotic probate where there were a ton of creditors and like lots and lots of issues I just saw him speak so matter-of-factly to the court in what was otherwise a very contentious and like emotional hearing and he was just like this is what has gone on and this is what must happen now as a result and it was like he carried the day (laughs) you know he wins Everybody in the crowd is wild. But like, so I've just I've seen him do something kind of like, I mean, this was like a very chaotic situation. And out of that chaos, he like drew order very deftly. And it's the same thing here.
2: And he writes the motion that you were just talking about. So he comes in and he and he writes the motion to the court with all the case laws saying an equitable remedy like a gag order or TRO is inappropriate here under the law. And she should have never had that entered. All of this has to be undone.
0: And, and we have to start over.
2: We have to start over. And, and the court's like, oops, whoops, you're right. You know what? You're right.
0: Oopsies. <laughs> That's our bad. That's our bad. But you love it. You love it when a court can correct itself and does.
2: And, yeah, she can't get that 441 days back, unfortunately.
0: Well, right. And so, like, he wins on that issue and gets the restraining order taken off. Yeah, taken out. And Josh Kidd eventually left the case and left the practice of law, left the state of Oklahoma. And a new guy entered. The last thing that ever happened in that case was that John Nation entered the case on behalf of Jim.
2: And I think that really ultimately, after going through this like year and a half or longer than that of hell, we asked Kara, like, did she regret making the flyer? Did she regret Operation Wildfire? Like what is the ultimate conclusion for you. And here's what she said.
1: Absolutely not. I don't. Um, I feel like the defamation lawsuit made me such a better, stronger person ever because I don't know. um, When you walk into a courtroom in Pawnee County alone and there's a, your abuser, his attorney and the judge that has also been in trouble with them before it is definitely a bear's den you're walking into. Um, It is definitely an intimidating situation. There were many days where I cried on the way to court, and I had to really just suck it up and walk in. There was actually one one day I saw Lumen in the hallway, and I looked at him, and I said, fuck you, and he didn't know what to say back and he was like fuck you like <laughs> and you know that kind of that little that area that little time in my life sure did make me where I I don't get intimidated that easy by anybody else and it really gave me a backbone um and i i don't know um he tried to take me down and i went from being a piano teacher now i'm a vice president of creative operations so i mean he's hasn't been able to like run me like he's tried so hard he's tried to take my kid away he's tried to make me lose several jobs
0: so it hit me with your hit me with your thoughts on just this whole this whole this defamation case is chaotic
2: let me say what my thoughts are and it is that Man, the fucking balls on this guy.
0: The fucking balls on this guy.
2: The motherfucking balls on this guy. Okay? I know. Every single one of these things that she put on the flyer is documented in a fucking government agency somewhere. Right. That is one of the exclusions to, per- to defamation. hmm That, and the truth. So you have mm-hmm. two of the exclusions- Yeah, you have the defenses.
0: Yeah, there's a great there's great defenses here to the defamation case.
2: I think the fact that the thing that I will give to Jim and I know he's listening (laughs) is Jim, call me, babe. What you did was that you you did what every lawyer is told to do in law school, which is don't read the law, read your opponent. Mm -hmm. And you knew she didn't have money. You knew she was ballsy enough to try to do it herself. And you knew that that would work to your advantage. You knew that she wouldn't be able to prove up these things because she doesn't know the procedure. You played
0: your opponent and you almost won. For a period of time, you did win. But you won the battle, not the war. The arrogance. The arrogance. It would of take. going
2: forward with a suit like this, knowing what he's done. Right. Knowing how easy it is to prove all of it. Right.
0: Right. Like mind blown. I know. And then you have then you really do have a court system that American courts are not like. You know like a European court where they would maybe act as an inv- somewhat of an independent investigator and do some research on their own. American courts don't operate like that. American courts are very much like a horse with blinders like they can act su sponte. they can act on their own.
1: Very it's very rare. very
0: rare that they would and so like you got that's like a horse with blinders it's like I can only see what's in front of me one I've got one side that's represented and one side that's pro se <sighs> the guy that's the guy that's represented. Has got somebody who understands the rules of procedure, understands, like, judicial economy and how my dockets operate. You know, Caro talks about the judge kind of getting annoyed with her because of how long she was taking on cross-examination. And, and
2: how many objections she's drawing, because also she's asking a bunch of irrelevant questions. Lots of like things that aren't irrelevant. Talking about his sister. Talking about random-ass shit that has nothing to do with any of this That does make him look bad, yeah, if you're having a basic conversation with somebody at a coffee shop, but in a courtroom, it can't come in. It can't come in here.
0: It can't come in, and the the judge will get annoyed.
2: And he's getting pissed because you continue to try to disparage the other side in ways that are not
0: Not okay in
2: this room.
0: Yeah. And, And, and yeah, so it's just, like, and to your point, like, he knew that she would do those things or that she would at least try to go it alone. And he was right. I don't know, like... (laughs) And it's just is another version of the legal abuse, in my opinion. It's another I version agree. of, like, Kara in particular being so outspoken and so adamant about right and wrong and so unwilling to back down.
2: He read that about her. He read that he about her. He knew her for three weeks.
0: Right. That's a special skill set to be able to do that. And, and we've heard from a lot of people that he's extremely arrogant. Lots of people. It's
2: arrogance, but it's, it's also very shrewd. It's like, he took a huge risk. That was a huge risk. Because anybody could have proven all those things on the flyer. He knows he did the things on the flyer. He pled in his petition that he doesn't know anything about Arkansas.
0: Where he was arrested.
2: Held overnight in jail in Eureka Springs.
0: Right. And like, that, that shit is sanctionable. Like that shit is like, so anyway, the long and the short of it are this defamation case ne- wasn't necessarily a victory for Kara in, at the beginning. And it was an extremely deft way of continuing to manipulate systems to your advantage as an abuser. Shocking. Shocking. And I want to like, I mean, but you, you, you have a little bit to say on the chilling effect, right? Like,
2: yes, God bless. The thing about suing someone is that in America, like you were just saying, is that your claims don't have to be right or virtuous. You just have to bring them and you have to be willing to keep showing up at court. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the fact that this goes on for so long and that there are so many emotions and so many hearings that that's enough to wear anyone down. And that's despicable, especially considering that you're dealing with somebody who's a survivor of abuse. And... What's so frustrating about this, too, is that and we hear this from victims advocates that, you know, part of the reason that a lot of victims and survivors don't speak out is because they're afraid of things like this happening. This is the fear. It's like it's not just that he's going to come after you physically, which is a real life fear. Right. But that he's going to take everything you have. He'll take your kids. He'll take your housing. He'll take your car. He'll take and then he'll come after you for talking about it.
0: Right, like not only will he punish you physically, but he will he will eviscerate you for telling anyone.
2: And so I mean, I hate that these cases like this are allowed to go on like this one was because it shows however many other survivors out there that I can never talk about this.
0: Yeah, the thing is, and I just want to say this though that we have very we have very strong anti-slap protections in this state. You can, at the outset of this case, had I been defending this, I would have filed a motion under the Oklahoma Citizens Participation Act to get it dismissed under the anti SLAP statute. You can't silence me because you don't like what I'm saying. And you're doing this to, it's the, what does SLAP stand for? So anti SLAP, SLAP stands for a strategic lawsuit against public participation like you have to do this early in the case or you lose the right to do it. So it should have happened early in this case of like filing for this motion, trying to have a hearing on whether or not this was just a strategic effort to prevent her from participating in a public discussion about issues of public concern. And I think if she had representation at that, she probably would have won. And that would have been the end of that, at that point. At least I like to hope.
2: I would like to hope that too. So like for anyone listening out there who is afraid of talking or speaking out about things that have happened to them that have really happened to them that they have evidence of or that, that are the truth there are legal protections for you and you shouldn't be afraid.
0: And you can get you could you should talk to a lawyer a lot of them will do a free consultation and you can just explain the circumstances and talk about I mean, bring this issue up. If you're dealing with a defamation issue, it's like ask them about the possibility of an anti-slap motion and getting the fees recovered that way rather than you paying up front. See if they'll do it on a contingency. I mean, negotiate that thing with the attorney because that exists. And that's a a beautiful mechanism for having your abuser pay for the privilege of having tried to harass you.
2: Yeah. And we have a really high profile case in Tulsa, Oklahoma right now where the abuser sued on, That's right. he didn't actually sue for defamation.
0: He sued for legal negligence, which was a bad theory. I mean, it was just a, 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 nonsense, a nonsense theory, and he lost. He got that kicked out.
2: He lost, but they also got their fees. They just ruled, and That's he right. has to pay $15,000 to the women that were speaking out against what he
0: was doing. That's right. We're talking about Scott Taylor, by the way. <laughs> I'll say it. It's
2: in the public record. <laughs> it is in the public record. Yeah, so... All is not lost. You do need a lawyer, though.
0: <laughs> Hire somebody. Just just do it. Just, just do it. Just do at it. At the beginning. Yeah. At the beginning. At the beginning. <laughs> at the beginning. So.
2: Something I've been saying a lot, and that's ringing true to me about these kinds of situations, is that in a dysfunctional family, the person who tells the truth is the one who gets punished. And the ones who keep the secrets are the ones who get rewarded. And what we have right now is a system that rewards the abusers and punishes the victims for telling the truth.
0: You know, all that to say, though, like, I would like to end this episode with a couple of clips because I did have a conversation with Josh, who was representing Jim in that hearing, about how he felt about Kara today and how he felt about Jim today. And I wanted to just kind of play that for you guys to consider.
1: I think everything you need to know about Jim, you can talk to Kara Youngblood and And his, um, the alleged victims, I think, um,
0: (laughs) seriously, I mean, I have a lot of respect for her, even though she probably doesn't respect me at all, but I
1: have a lot of respect for Kara and, uh, especially now that Jim, we know that Jim is an abuser, like he's admitted it in court.
0: So now our listeners can understand why the cover image of the podcast is an old car and the podcast is called Operation Wildfire. The idea is that the flyer was intended to spread the truth like wildfire. The problem with that is that these survivors and victims should not have to be the ones to take on that burden and that risk. We rely on the system of criminal courts to bear the weight of prosecuting and informing the public about dangerous people, and that system has really failed in these cases.
2: I think one of the reasons these women struggled to find a willing ear in prosecuting these cases is because they worked together Any DA or district attorney, as we say, who's looking at these cases is going to see a mess that they don't want to deal with. These women have been damaged. They have damaged their cases and their credibility to the point that it would be difficult to get a conviction on any of their cases. But wait, wait, Leslie, remember Ember from episode one, right? She was approached to join this merry band of survivors, and for a multitude of personal and professional reasons, she did not engage at the level the other girls did. Because she had been warned so early on by her attorney, she had been expecting the call, but she kept a healthy distance. I wonder if there are other victims out there like her that would also corroborate Jim's violent behavior.
0: Well, as it turns out, Colleen, there's a woman out there who's gone nearly three decades without sharing her story with anyone but her family and the Eureka Springs Police. And for any geography students out there, that's Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Next week on Panic Button, we talk to a victim who has never spoken out about Jim's abuse before. A victim whose abuse happened in a totally different state in 1997. We hope you'll join us.
2: You can find links to pictures, documents, and all our sources in the show notes of this episode. These cases serve as a reminder of the devastating consequences of domestic violence and the importance of seeking help if you or someone you know is a victim. If you are in immediate danger, please call 911 or your local emergency number. For confidential support and resources, you can reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Thank you for listening to Panic Button, Operation Wildfire, and for joining us in shedding light on the importance of ending domestic violence for good. I'm Colleen McCarty.
0: And I'm Leslie Briggs.
2: Panic Button is a production of Oklahoma Appleseed Center for Law and Justice. We're recorded at Bison and Bean Studios in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Our theme music is by Guillaume. Additional editing is provided by The Wave Podcasting. Our music supervisor is Rusty Rowe. Special thanks to our interns, Kat and Allison. To learn more about Oklahoma Appleseed or donate to keep our mission of fighting for the rights and opportunities of every Oklahoman a reality, go to okappleseed.org.